Welcome to the QAV Investing Podcast, episode 635. We recorded this on Tuesday, the 29th of August, 2023. If you're new to the show, welcome. My name's Cameron Riley. I'm one of the hosts of the show. My other host is my good friend, Tony Kynaston. Tony's a very successful investor, been doing it for 30-odd years, and he's got a system that he uses called QAV, Quality at Value, which is basically buying shares in good quality companies when you can get them at a discount in their intrinsic value. It's basically value investing. And Tony's been able to achieve double market returns over the last 30 years on average. So that's what we teach on this podcast is that system of investing. On the free episode this week, we're going to be talking about Pilbara's results and why their share price plummeted after they came out with Really amazing uh, record results. We're going to be talking about an article that one of our members posted to our Facebook group on the cost of timing the market, how if you're not invested in the best 10 days over 20 years, it can have a massive impact on your final returns. And then we've got a question from one of our listeners, Alex, about uh, whether or not it's realistic to achieve average returns of 30 to 60% per annum. Apparently, one of the US websites that he follows claims that they're achieving that kind of return, and so Tony breaks that down. That's coming up on the free episode of QAV today. Let's get into it. Let's talk about PLS. Oh, yeah. my God. So, Pilbara, lithium, the only lithium stock on our buy list. Mm-hmm. We were quite excited by PLS. <laughs> And and with good reason. So they released their results on the 25th of August. Amazing results. Yeah. 224, sorry, 242% increase in revenue to 4.1 billion. 464% increase in cash balance to 3.3 billion. 307% increase to their EBITDA. 14 cents per share fully franked dividend. And... Uh, 326% increase in their profit after tax to 2.4 billion. What did the market do? Dropped it, dropped them by 8% within minutes of the results coming out. <laughs> I was explaining this to Chrissy the other last night. I was like, normally the QAV model is to find good companies, companies that are being managed well, generating cash, good history of generating cash investing in them when we can buy them at a discount to their valuation. Normally, when you do that and they come out with a good report, the share price goes up because mm. everyone goes, oh, well, look at that. Yeah. Company's doing well. Let's buy it. Let's get in on that. But this finance, this reporting season, no. They go, wow, look at that. They're going to probably suck next year. So let's <laughs> let's dump it while the going is good is, is my take on what's happening. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're... You pretty much summarized it there. It is, it is strange because the results are so good. And probably the biggest thing which I focused on was how much cash is being thrown off by this company. It's just a wash in cash. Like it's just crazy. It, yeah. So that, I mean, you're forgetting now what the number was when we did the, the pulled pork if you were buying it at like two times cash or something for this company, which was incredible. A uh, couple of, couple of things I think people have focused on. Number one, they're using that cash to invest in increase in production. So they, I think it was about 40% over five years. They're going to um, mine more. 
And the market already has concerns that the lithium mining sector is growing too quickly and that will depress the price. And they're also focusing on the price, which has come off a lot in the last few months. It's been high during the year, which has driven all this cash flying into Pilbara. I guess my, who knows, I don't want to predict. My take on it is whenever I've seen this happen before, they eventually recover. They find a way of either hoarding cash. I mean, they're going to be smart operators if they think that they expand mine production is going to depress the price. They'll get the balance fairly right, even if the market's concerned about lithium price not recovering. The other thing I, I want to mention is, and I was going to do a quick update on Wheat Partners, which I'll do now, SDR. They actually report March and September, so they haven't reported their annual results, but they have given the market an update. I think it was the end of last month, actually. And the, and the shares have been going great, and it's been on our buy list for a while. But the thing that which I wanted to highlight now when we're talking about Pilbara is that Fleet Partners, which is a company which provides leasing systems, I guess, to large companies. So they look after the fleet for a large company. Obviously, it's their name. Uh, but they also provide employees with salary packaging so they can lease a car. That's usually called a novated lease. So you, you lease it for three or four or five years and then you agree to either sell it and give them the profits or pay back a bubble at the end. So the past depreciated down to maybe 30 or 40%. And that is what you owe to fleet partners. And you may have made a profit on that along the way. Anyway, the thing I wanted to highlight was they came out and said last month that in the last uh, quarter, that 45% of the new vehicle leases were electric vehicles. And that's one of the things that's driven their share price up because electric vehicles cost more than internal combustion engine vehicles. And so Fleet Partners is, in terms of its leasing dollars, has had a bump in sales, which is good for them. The 45% of new vehicles being leased are electric vehicles. It's hard to see how the lithium market's going to stay depressed, even if there are new lights coming on. So one of those things doesn't add up. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. But it's a shame we had to rule one Pilbara out of the dummy portfolio. I, I haven't had to rule one yet. I bought it a little bit earlier, but it's getting close. So we'll see what happens. But I'm hoping I can hold on to it because you're paying so little for this cash balance. And Management's been successful so far in terms of growing that cash balance. And there's no reason to doubt they won't be going forward. Well, if I'd held onto it to today, Tony, I wouldn't have had to rule one. It, it's gone go. back up above the rule one price. Yeah. I still hold it in the light portfolios. It didn't quite breach the rule one yesterday. And now it's gone back up today. So it was it's a bit of a crazy overreaction. And, mm-hmm. you know, Supports oh, the rule one being hole. 20, 20%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. If that had been the official rule, I would have held on to it. But anyway, them's the breaks when yeah. you're playing the game that we play. Disappointing, but there you go. Win some, you lose some. Well, I mean, um, the, good, the good thing is it'll, if they get still a buy, it'll stop being Josephine soon on the short term. And it's still on the buy list after those results. So. May come back into the portfolio at some stage. Well, I think it was like number two on the buy list when I sold it. Yeah, right. I was like, yeah. oh, this is insane. Yeah. But rules are rules. Anyway, Jordan posted a nice little graphic in our Facebook group, the cost of timing the market. 
nice little chart here that he borrowed from somebody called Visual Capitalist, some research outfit, and they got the data from JP Morgan. But it says, bad timing can take a bite out of returns. Below, we show the risk of trying to time the market by simply missing out on the 10 best days, an investor could lose the majority of their overall return. Now, we've talked about this concept or this data before, but it's always a good reminder, I think, that well, why you need to be fully invested. So it comes down to literally days right, yeah. over the course of yeah. 10 years. This says that the value of $10,000 invested in the S&P 500 from to January 2003 to December 2022. If you kept it invested for the entire period, the value of it would be $64,844. If you missed the 10 best days over that 20-year period, your return would be $29,708. That's a huge difference. That's 50% difference. And it's only 10 days. 10 days. If you miss the 20 best days, mm -hmm. you're down to 17.8 thousand. <laughs> if you miss the 30 best days, you're down to 11.7 thousand. And it goes down and down and down. If you miss the 60 best days, it's down to $4,205. <laughs> Your $10,000 invested actually gets halved over that. Period. Now, obviously, this isn't talking about playing the market or any kind of system, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the point is, stands true that there are very good days that come and go. And if you're not fully invested in those days, you're missing out on a huge amount of your long-term returns. Yeah. I'd just like to add, here, I'm going to read out those 10 days just quickly. The best day was October 13, 2008. The second best was October 28, 2008. And March. Were we 20... in the middle of the global financial crisis then? Yeah, towards the yeah middle or towards the end. But anyway, so all these dates, I won't read them all out. They'll read the COVID or the GFC. Pretty much, I think there's and like one was five 20... of them at 2008. Yeah, so there's. Majority of 2008, 2009, so that's eight of them, and two were 2020, March 2020, so COVID. So, yeah, they're, they're basically saying, don't be a dummy and sell out when the market goes down. Stay invested. And the like, those are the two biggest crashes in the last 20 years. Correct. And they also contain the top 10 best days of the top 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of counterintuitive. I mean, you feel like you want to get out of the market when everything's going bad, but if you do, you can see the power to fix your returns. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it's such a simple idea, but something that I think is just counterintuitive for most amateur investors. Yeah. When the market's you know, down and it's everything's depressing like we've lived through the last couple of years. Instinctively, you just want to get out. It's emotionally, it can be. If you don't have a system to follow that removes the emotion like we do, it can be emotionally turbulent, Ooh. torture. Yeah. And even, even if you do feel like getting out, don't, or you feel like your system's failing you, you can stay, but 
as we're doing, look at research the system and see if there are any things we can improve on, which we might do differently going forward, rather than saying, I'm going to sell out, go away. Mm. Mm. Go suck my thumb in the corner. Yeah. All which right. is the classic well, buy high, sell low strategy, which most retail investors fall into, but is the opposite of what they should be doing. Alex? How are you, Alex? I'm good, thank you. So what question are you asking us this week, Alex? I have a question from another Alex. So Alex says, I follow US value investors that claim their methodology returns 30% to 60% per annum. Does TK think returns like this are possible, i.e. the US market is more favorable favorable to growth, or is this marketing spin? Uh, and then he, presumably, has put a link to a... Um, I, I guess an investing kind of similar thing to QAV. It's a service, but not really. I don't even tell. Called Ticker. I think. T Y K R. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Ticker.com. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. I am not familiar with T Y K R. Ticker.com. I just had a quick look through their website. I couldn't see any claims on their returns, whether it's as high as 30 to 60%. Well, than obvious, but maybe they talk about it in one of their sh- documents or shows or whatever they do. I'll have a look at it in the next uh, week or so and see if I can come up with something more. But be that as it may, I think you've asked two questions, which are probably more important. One is, are returns of 30 to 60% per annum possible? And you know, I, I think that's possible over the short term. I don't think it's possible over the long term. It sounds, it sounds too high to me. How do I know that? Because I think if someone was over the long term getting as high as 30 to 60% returns, they'd be absolutely swamped and probably be the richest person in the world. And that doesn't seem to be the case, given it's the first time I've heard of ticker or anything to do with it. So I'd be skeptical. Um, not saying, yeah, I, I probably am saying it can't happen. It's, I think about it. If you were, that's basically saying you're um, doubling your money less than two years so if it's been going for, for 10 years it's you know two to two to the fifth which is what 16 times it's been going for 20 it's astronomically large so it just it seems unlikely that someone has this kind of long-term return and stayed under the radar and hasn't been at least snapped up by someone some billionaire on wall street to do their investing for them or or made a lot of money as a fund manager, rather than selling a subscription service to how they did it. So I'm skeptical. In terms of whether the US market does better than the Australian market, that's an easy one. They, over the long term, they tend to do about the same. I mean, there are pros and cons for both markets. US market probably is a little bit more growth orientated than the, the Australian market. There's a lot more tech stocks over there, biotech stocks over there. There's a, a lot more successful entrepreneurs who really struck, struck a rich, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, people like that. So that market does tend to support that kind of unicorn style company. However, yeah, the volatility comes along with that. So you have big crashes as well, like the tech crash in 2001. So it does tend to even out over time that, that most indexes around the world tend to average around 10%. They all have their pros and cons. The Australian market's known for paying frank dividends. So we tend to be seen as being lower growth. But if you add the dividends back, we, we also get a similar sort of return with perhaps a little bit less volatility. 
And if you look at sort of short-term periods at the moment, I think in the last sort of four or five years, the US market has outperformed the Australian market. But as I said before, over time, there are big corrections in the US and longer term, say the last hundred years, they're both getting nine or 10% type returns. So I don't, I've never felt the need to invest in the US market as opposed to the Australian market. I think there's plenty of stocks here to invest in and plenty of stocks with overseas exposure that does become attractive. So yeah, so I'm skeptical of the high returns as are being talked about and I'm happy to say at home and close to my knitting with the companies I walk past every day and read about in the paper every day. I did a quick search on the most successful investors in the United States. And of course, it's all the usual names, Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. Jack Bogle, Peter Lynch. Mm-hmm. This is a Motley Fool article, by the way. They talk about Kathy Wood, uh, mm-hmm. Innovation ETF, it says that her fund, and she does high growth stuff, obviously, that's her whole thing says that her fund targets a 15% annualized return over a five-year period. And that's at a high growth fund. Yeah, that's high growth stuff. So, you know, if the US was a better market for high growth stuff and and those sorts of returns could be achieved consistently, you would think Kathy Wood would probably be aiming for those sorts of returns as well, but 15% sounds more realistic. Yeah, and I mean, you, you know, you could have lucked out and bought Apple when it floated and Amazon when it floated and have a lot of money now, but your average fund manager, I don't think, would have just bought two stocks. They would have bought another 20 and the those 20 are probably all bankrupt. Brightfly and um, Pet.com, other things that crashed in the dot-com bubble. Hmm. But by all means, Alex... Go follow those systems. Yeah, tell us more, Alex. We'd love to make six Come and report back. That'd be great. As long as it's your money you're doing it with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Alex. Yeah, look, I... Sorry, go on. In terms of of returns, when people ask me about those sorts of numbers from time to time, I always say, look, Buffett and Munger are considered the most successful investors or up there with the most successful investors of all time. They tend to report... 19.5%, 19.8% 19.5%, averaged out over the long haul compound annual growth returns. If they're, if they're A, known as the most successful investors, and that's 20% roughly is what they are able to achieve, I think that's sort of the high watermark for long-term success investing is 20%. That seems to be what is achievable if you're the best of the best, which is what Buffett and Munger, if not the best, certainly up there with the best. Any list of the most successful investors in the world or in the US is going to have those guys up in the top one, two, three, and that's the sort of numbers that they achieve. So yeah, and I mean, I, over the long term. There's a book I read ages ago about, I think it's called Double Market, but it talks about how your growth twice the market rate. And I can't remember the detail now, but there was a mathematical proof which said it's very hard for a business or an investment to grow up more than twice market consistently for a long period of time because to some extent you're tethered to the market because you're investing in it. So, you know, if there's an economic crash or a war or whatever that comes out, even if you're outperforming, it's going to drag you down as well as the market as well. So there are other reasons why that's the case, but yeah. So it's kind of like a standard deviation thing. You can get 
better returns in the market if you're careful, but they can't be infinitesimally better returns in the market over a long period of time, statistically anyway. Look, speed of light in physics. Yeah, well, there's a, someone, there's, a, yeah. there's a natural limit to how fast you can go before you break the laws of physics. Yeah, and look, from time to time, I read articles about people who have had fantastic returns, and even over a decent period, maybe two years, they tend to be concentrated in one particular industry or involved in something like venture capital or private equity, and good luck to them. But mm. they also, you and I can't, when we invest with them, we pay them fees, and that generally brings the returns back to earth as well. Mm. I, I fully believe that there are probably people out there that have a high level of domain expertise mm -hmm. and really good contacts in a particular sector and they know who's who in the zoo and they know what's coming up in the research and they can probably dance between the raindrops, but most of us don't fit <laughs> yeah. that category. So That's right. we're limited to human levels of access and skill, you know? Yeah, we've got to be realistic, but, but not even that. Like, if you do have that kind of domain experience, and I guess people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs do, and they've been very successful. Um, but but uh, there's also been a lot of people who have domain experience, like a retailer or whatever, and they're billionaires for sure. But a lot of that comes from corporate activity. They raise money from someone and invested it and shared the profits and taken on lots of debt, that kind of thing. So. It's not something that's readily available to you and I to, to do that. Mm. Thank you, Alex and Alex. And good oh, luck with you. your art fair, Alex. Number one. Number one, Alex. <laughs> yep, number one. Number one <laughs> the, only, the only female, the only female Alex that we know of in the show. We know of, yeah. There yeah. could be there could, could be a female Alex out there. Who sure. knows? I hope so. There <laughs> is. Well, one of the actresses on the original season of The White Lotus was an Alex. So yeah, I haven't watched it. You watched it finally, Tony? Did you get around? No, I can't get past the first episode. You said that about Succession too. Yeah, I did go back and watch it. You're right. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are other female Alexes out there, Alex, but none of them are you. None of them are as good. Yeah, as you. thanks. You're the number thanks. one uh, female number one. Alex in the world, Alexandra Daddario. Ah, uh, yeah. Name. Yeah. Uh, yep, she's cool. All the boys in my year at school had a crush on her and still do. Oh. <laughs> yeah, me too, just quietly, but let's not, let's not talk about that. I'll get in trouble. We thought we were finding an exotic name calling Alexandra. No, Alexandra. <laughs> Alexandra. But then all these guys got called Alexandria. Alexander at the same time. Yeah, when and I get called Alexander as well sometimes. So yeah. that's no is that, what, is that what your parents call you when they're cross at you? They say, Alexander. No, my uncle, but to be fair, he's got a real Queensland drawl. So I think he's saying Alexandra, but it sounds a lot like <laughs> D-E-R. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll let you go. Thanks, Al. Yeah. See you tomorrow. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. It runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another... 30 to 60 minutes depending on how many questions we get it's where tony answers questions from our club members if you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a qav club member which is access to the checklist and 
and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episode. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.